They say the two happiest days for a boat owner is when you buy the boat and when you sell the boat. But I don't believe that's true, and we're going to talk about all the ways to make sure you enjoy all of your boat owning experience on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse, same as it's always been from day one. Check those guys out and gear up for Unforgettable. In the studio with me today here in La Cueva del Fishful, I've got a good friend of ours, longtime uh, friend and uh, member of the Fishful Thinker crew, Mr. Dan Swanson. And Dan, uh, first of all, thanks for being here. Uh, happy to be here anytime. Dan is an expert on all things electronics, but more than that, he's a lifelong fisherman, bass and walleyes, and like myself, has done it professionally. Actually, you did it professionally longer than I have, right? When did you start tournament fishing? Well, I started fishing professionally in 2001, and I fished, I would say, through off and on, probably through 17 or 18. There you go. And guided forever, all the way until this year. Yeah. And, uh, and so still an active guide. So he's been doing it for a long time. And one of the things that's important about being in a, a professional versus it being maybe a guy that just fishes for fun is that the high percentage of professionals get new boats constantly. Yeah. We're rotating through boats like crazy. I'm on my, my 14th or 15th Ranger boats on order right now. Uh, I'm not sure how many you've had, but it's been a bunch. Yeah, it's... 17, 18 probably. I'm losing track on it. Yeah, we've been through a lot of boats between the two of us in the last 20 years, and that gives you a lot of experience with, with buying and selling them, for one. Also, we work a lot of boat shows, and so you find the common questions. And also, we fish a wide variety of stuff. So it could be walleye fishing one day, saltwater fishing the next day, and bass fishing the next day. So a lot of variety in that in that scenario as well. So we thought we'd go through some of the things when you're getting ready to buy a boat and why we're doing it now, right before Christmas, uh, right at the end of the year here, is because boat show season's coming up. Yes, and it is. around the country, people are going to be pulling into big halls. There's going to be all kinds of boat dealers and boats. And some of the best deals of the year are typically had during boat show season. So a lot of people buy boats in, say, end of January or, say, end of December through maybe end of February. Yeah, and I mean, if you get across the country, some of the big boat shows are not till March or April, but yeah. Yeah, much. so it's a spring thing, right? Yep. So buying boats. So we're going to break down some of the things we've learned the hard way and the easy way from buying boats here. And so I guess fundamentally, we'll start with the biggest questions, um, the style of boat. If a guy's considering buying a boat, Especially if you haven't owned a boat. This is a big one because everyone thinks they know what style of boat they want. But one of the things that I've seen commonly at boat shows is people bought a boat last year or two years ago and then figured out they didn't quite buy the right style that they needed. So the obvious one is a a bass style boat versus a walleye style boat. What's the biggest strength? Since you have more experience in walleye style boats than I do and you've owned both, I want to point out. Whereas I've owned more consistently bass boats. What do you think is the biggest advantage of a walleye-style boat? I think with a walleye-style boat, or what they call a multi-species boat, because you know any boat you can fish for for anything, but right. but they they generally call it a multi-species boat. And I think the biggest thing is it's a, a deeper hull, it's got a deeper cockpit, so if you got kids or whatever, there's it's a lot easier for them to move around. Um, it it does. You know, I love my bass boat, but it does definitely ride better <laughs> when, when it gets rough. It'll, it'll cut, it slices through the, the water a lot better. 
Right, 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 right. And, I, and having spent a bunch of time in all of them, a couple of key things that I catch right there, the, the, deep, the deep cockpit or the, the high sides, the high gunnels, keep people in the boat. And, and even if you might be just a bass guy, you might be, you personally might be a bass guy, but if you've got little kids that are going with you or you've got your wife going with you, she's probably going to appreciate the higher sides on the boat, the deeper cockpit in general, your kids will be safer in it. And I can tell you from guiding people in it, sometimes people feel sketchy in a bass boat because you feel like you can fall out of it so easy. There's no sides on that thing. Um, what do you think is the biggest disadvantage of a wildlife-style boat? Um, the biggest disadvantage, and I think this depends a lot on the boat, but one of it is that if it's a windy day, it'll catch the wind. So, right. so the boat control is a little more difficult. Um, I think if you're if you're uh, a bass fisherman and you like to flip, or or anything sides. like that, the high sides can kind of get in the way. Yep. Um, if you're trying to to lift a fish into the into the boat rather than net it, uh, it's a little more difficult to flip it up over the gunnels. But those are that's more of a fish fishability thing, and and I guess a boat control thing is that's a, the boat control thing can be a really big deal. Yeah, the blowing around thing is something I notice right away when I get in a walleye style boat. Another thing that jumps out at me for for walleye style boats is uh, the ability to lay rods flat on the deck. A lot of the 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 deep V boats don't have a long enough deck space for a say a seven to eight foot long fishing rod, so they're sticking up in the air. Uh, to some degree, which I'm not generally a huge fan of, uh, versus the giant flat deck of a bass boat, which has got massive. Like I can put nine foot rods laying flat on the deck on my bass boat pretty easy. Uh, you obviously you can on your bass boat as well now, but uh, that's one of the things. Another thing I notice uh, it's considerably heavier and more wind resistant to tow. When when you put a, a 21 foot walleye boat behind your truck or a 21 foot bass boat, the fundamental difference in towing is significant. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, one that if a 21-foot bass boat versus a 21-foot walleye boat, and assuming they're both, let's say, let's call them, say they're rangers, and they both got great big motors on them, and batteries and a trolling motor. So they're pretty equivalent that way. Um, just the sheer amount of fiberglass between the two boats makes a big difference. Um, then you've also got, as you're towing, you've got a, a big windshield, and the boat is taller, so you're pushing more wind when you're towing it as well. So at, at you know, at uh, 70 miles an hour, maybe we shouldn't be towing that fast, but at 70 <laughs> miles an hour, it's definitely noticeable. You're pushing a lot more air. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I noticed that right away. And there's a little bit difference in draft, although I don't think that's a giant enough of an issue to matter, um, you know, as far as it goes. But the, the biggest advantage I see for walleye boats is for sure wind-driven waves where mm -hmm. the boat will cut them cleanly and then if you do spray you've got a windshield to catch at least a percentage of the spray that's the single biggest advantage and another one which we didn't touch on at all if you're going to troll it's much easier to put a kicker motor obviously on on a on a uh, walleye style boat no definitely easier to put a kicker on it and if the wind's blowing really hard that kicker's nice um, but you can troll with an electric trolling motor. The, the newer electric trolling motors, especially the brushless ones like the Lowrance Ghost, are very, very efficient. Um, I actually, on my bass boat, I, I've got it set up for trolling, and I troll all day long with it. So Yeah, between the lithium-ion batteries yeah. and the, and the uh, brushless motor and the Ghost, yeah, you can do it for a long time. But if you're going to troll in the wind or back troll or things like that, than the walleye style boat. Now, let's switch gears a little bit and go look at something flatter like a bass style boat. A um, little bit more in my wheelhouse here, a couple things, first thing for me, I just love the massive deck space from every which way. And I like to fly fish on the deck of the boat. You got room to spread out your lines all over the place. 
you can pitch and flip because you have low gunnels. You can walk all over the deck of the boat. Uh, bass boat's pretty comfortable with two people up front uh, as well. Uh, and I like to, f- they're more fun to drive. And just for me, at the end of the day, uh, a bass boat is a more fun boat to drive, typically with the foot throttle and all the stuff that goes with it. Uh, and the way they handle, uh, they're more maneuverable. They're a fun boat to drive, and that counts, counts for part of it. What, what do you see as advantages in a bass boat? Well, for me, uh, I'm not very tall. Of any of you who have met me, um, it's it's a lot easier for me to get in and out of a bass boat sure. when it's in my garage. Sure, sure. <laughs> which yes. is kind of crazy, but uh, you know, climbing in and out of the bass boat uh, in the walleye boat time and time again to get this or to get that, or to put the cover, or to on put it. the cover on it, or I mean, there's so many other things that, or launching the boat. I find launching a bass boat a lot easier than launching a, a big walleye boat. Um, you know, back the boat into the into the water and push it off the trailer is just easier. Um, I can get it back on the trailer easier. I mean, there's a lot of things I like about it, um, but you know, the, there's a lot of advantages to the walleye boat that I do miss. Right, and there, there's no perfect boat. I want to point that out for everything. I will say this: if going back to it again, unless you're just derby guy, you know, hardcore bass fishing tournament guy. If you got family that's going, I can almost guarantee you're gonna be better in a multi-use style boat than a pure bass boat. There's no place to really sit. Your wife's yeah. not gonna be real comfortable necessarily sitting in a bass boat. I mean, she might. Don't get me wrong, but not not like she can in a in a in a deep V. Particularly with some of the crossover boats that are kind of fish and ski, so to speak, that allow you to do a little bit of both. If you got kids and you want to spend more time at the lake, get a boat the kids want to be in and that you can maybe pull them around during the low slowest parts of the day. I, I helped one of my closest buddies buy a, a ranger. Uh, fish and ski style boat and that thing spends about half of its time fishing and half of its time with a tube and the kid out behind the boat drifting around the lake so yeah and a lot of the multi-species boats that are available whether they're from ranger or lund or or whoever they've got flip-up seats in the back so you can actually put quite a few people in there and have a place for them to sit Um, in the bass boat you've got in my boat i've got three seats and I have, if I have another person, I have, they have to sit on the front and facing backwards. Right. So it, it definitely, and, and if you need to go from the front to the back and everybody's seated, it's really hard to get by anybody. It's, the multi-species yeah. boat is just, I mean, there's so much more floor space. There's better seating. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that's a preferred boat, especially for a family right, that right, goes right. out often. Yeah, for a family, for sure. And, and, and bass boats, don't get me wrong, great fishing boat, fantastic fishing platform. Maybe not as versatile and not as, as, as family-friendly, for sure. So let's step away from the, the fundamental shape of the boat. Um, the, I would say that more people are going to be better suited with a, with a multi-species boat than a bass boat. I think a bass boat's more for more hardcore guys in general. Um, a multi-species boat better. But from there, now you have the next big choice. Glass or fiberglass, mm-hmm. fiberglass or, or uh, aluminum, I should say. And I've owned both. You've owned both. Yes. Um, both of mine have been bass style boats. Uh, you've owned aluminum walleye boats and fiberglass walleye boats and fiberglass bass boats. Right, right. And the advantages of aluminum, as I see them from the outside looking in, from my old boat, for one, you'd, for whatever reason, you don't worry about scratching it. And the modern aluminum boats have stickers and stuff on them and decorative stuff the boat i originally had didn't you you want to park it on the rocks you park it on the rocks you want to you know whatever uh bounce off the dock it doesn't matter they're very very durable in that regard whereas fiberglass i mean you just had repair work done on fiberglass from a dock encounter on your boat fiberglass not as durable right the yes and no okay so so the the aluminum boats are great in that if you do scratch it 
you know, you get out a can of touch-up paint and touch it up. It's pretty easy. Sand it if you want. You can sand it down and make it look really nice, and it doesn't. it's not hard to do yourself. Right. You scratch a fiberglass boat, you need to go to the fiberglass shop pretty much. I mean, there are people who are capable of doing it themselves. Right. Mine, I wanted somebody to do it right. Didn't so know what I, they were doing, actually. So I paid somebody to do it, and it was not cheap. No. But, but um, you know, the aluminum boat, you don't feel as bad if you scratch it. The first scratch always hurts no matter what yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. right? And, but if you want to beach the boat, it, you don't feel as bad about it. With the fiberglass boat, you got to think about, you know, is it is it sand, is it grass, or are there any rocks? I mean, even in, in a, an aluminum boat, if there's a big rock, you're gonna, you could dent at the bottom of it, right? right? Even <clears> with the stuff that's got 125,000 thick aluminum right. can dent. Um, so there's that. Um, they're a little bit lighter. Right. So generally, not not as much as you might think, but they are generally lighter, so they can be a little easier to tow. And they can run on smaller motors and attain right. speed that way as well, right. which is an important thing to think about. So, I mean, you and I both been to Ranger Boat School and drove when they first came out with that 198P, the pad boat. That was a nice boat. Uh, we were running like 60 plus miles an hour with a 150 on it, or yeah. 60 miles an hour with a 150 on the back of it. To get to get my fiberglass boat to go 60 miles an hour it takes a 250 on the back of it. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a definite difference there, which means it's also cheaper to insure. It's cheaper to buy. So mm-hmm. the cost of ownership in general of a fiberglass boat, is, or excuse me, of, of an aluminum boat is probably significantly less. It can be. I would think it would be. And the cost to purchase the boat, although that gap is narrowing now, is for sure cheaper to purchase as well. Yeah, it do, again, it depends. If you start getting up in the really high-end, you know, pro-style walleye boats, there's not a lot of difference between the fiberglass and the aluminum cost-wise. But, but yeah. when you get down in the... You know the 17, 18 footers. You've got a lot more choices. That's to me is the biggest thing. Right, right. In in a in an aluminum boat, you just you just don't have that many choices in fiberglass. Sure. Let me ask you this: uh, durability wise, we've both been to factories and watched them be made, both the aluminum and the fiberglass boats. Um, durability wise, I'm not talking about cosmetic. I'm talking about straight up you know, failures of hulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, welds can break on a, on aluminum boats. Have you ever seen a full hull failure on a fiberglass boat? I have not seen it. I have not either. And I've, I've seen it on, and, and this, you know, when you talk about welds breaking, I think it depends a lot on the, on the manufacturer. There, there's multiple tiers of aluminum boats. And the top tier boats, you're not going to see any problems. You're not going to have any problems with rivets falling out, no matter how much we tease. Because there won't be any rivets. Well, we tease, <laughs> we tease some of the guys who have rivets in their boats, and they're very well-made boats, and they're not going to have problems with rivets falling out, no matter how much we tease them. The welded boats, the good ones, will have um, like welds. extrusions, and, they, and, the, and the, the aluminum goes into those extrusions, and then it's welded in, so you got that extra support. And then you've got the other ones where they just butt weld them. Right. And those don't hold up as well, or the ones that don't have a lot of fiber or a lot of aluminum in stringers that help support it as right, well. Right. So when you are buying an aluminum boat, look at how it's made. And the the higher end models may not be the highest selling models, but the higher end models are going to last your a lifetime. Yeah, and I agree with that 100. percent And and I, I took a a riveted hull to saltwater. Yeah. Uh, that didn't go my way at all. But there's a term called bimetallic corrosion, <laughs> yeah, well, which yeah. happens when you have dissimilar metals and you put them in salt and water. And that was a poorly designed boat. It was, was a poorly designed boat. And it was surely a poor decision to put it in salt water. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're, they're a, 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 welded, a true welded hull would have been fine in salt sure. water and would have lasted forever. But the riveted hull, not so much. Because yeah. so, rivets are made out of different material than the rest of the hull. So that's a key thing there. I, I love the, the feel and the stiffness and the ride of a 
fiberglass boat. There's just something about the way they handle. Uh, plus, they can do more curving, true curving to the boat, so they yeah. can really make the boat sleek. I think that's one of the biggest advantages to fiberglass is you can shape it any shape you want. With aluminum, you can only bend it so so much. I mean, there's been some where people have tried to form aluminum mm -hmm. and made those formed boats, and they there's been some instances where some of those boats have collapsed in rough water. So, right. so yeah. you, you know, you take a lot of strength out of it when you do that. When you it. roll that aluminum through yeah. the rollers, that's right, right. and uh, and that'll do that. So, uh, at the at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are going to be perfectly well served with uh, with aluminum boats. From the budget standpoint, cost standpoint, yeah. uh, just general fishability is not fundamentally hugely different. Uh, big water ride. Now you've, you're you're from back east. You spend time on the Great Lakes. You fish tournaments in big lakes and walleye tournaments. The big water ride of an aluminum multi-species boat versus a fiberglass one. What would you? Because I haven't spent a tremendous amount. No, of time I've I have spent plenty of time driving <laughs> my own <laughs> aluminum boats, and uh, they they tend to bounce off the waves so when you're when you're going 60 some miles an hour in a in a boat in a deep v boat across lake michigan um when you hit a big wave you can feel every single wave when you hit it and it, it makes this loud slap and this loud noise and you know the boat can handle it it just sounds bad and, and the ride is rough where with uh, a Typically, fiberglass boats are formed in such a way that when you hit the wave, it slices through it as opposed to bouncing off of it, and that's what helps absorb that. Um, they've tried that with, with aluminum, but they've just not been as successful. Right, 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 sure. And, and that's basically my experience between that and blowing around. I just go right to fiberglass. The aluminum boats being lightweight, they, they or lighter weight, can blow around. Well, I don't know about the walleye boats so much, but in the bass boats, particularly in the smaller ones, you'll feel them blow around a fair bit. Uh, because they don't have any, they're just, it's like a leaf on the surface of the water. They don't weigh anything, and uh, comparatively to a 21-foot, say, bass. Yeah, and, you know, the the bow, the bow tends to sit up. You know, you get a bunch of, you get two people standing in the back. you got Batteries, a kicker motor in the back, kickers, yep. and, you're, and you're trolling. You know, the bow is in the air because you've got that weight in the back. And if you're trying to troll into the wind, this is when you notice it the most, the bow won't track. The wind, it'll catch the wind and it blows you this way and it blows you that way and you're constantly fighting it. If you go with the wind, you're going too fast. So you right. got, so you know, there's that, that thing. And, and with, the, with the fiberglass boat, it's got a super deep keel in the front and the front end isn't sticking up as far. Right. So it'll track true and straight and you don't feel that wind pushing the bow around like it does in the aluminum boat. Right, right. There you go. That makes good sense. For, it, for me, I just noticed that when you're trying to, to, to hold on a spot, you're drifting constantly. So uh, blowing around in the wind. And we fish in the wind a lot. So fundamentally, um, stepping away from those questions. Okay, we've, we've, we've decided I'm, I'm Joe weekend guy and I'm going to buy an aluminum uh, multi-species boat. Uh, length. What's your first considerations when you're looking at length? For me, I can tell you very easy. The length, of, the number one thing is I want the biggest boat that'll fit in my garage. Well, that's true, and 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 your budget. Well, and, <laughs> and your budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Because nobody ever uh, complains about having too much room in their fishing boat. That's true, um, but but you do end up with something that's not manageable if it gets too big, right? So you you, you know, I personally ran twenty foot Rangers. And I like that size. For me, it was perfect. And I know a lot of people are running 21s and 22s. Yeah. And I always felt they were too big. Um, and the reason is, is all the space was from the windshield back right. on some of those. And if you troll a lot or if you've got multiple people in the boat, it's awesome. Right. But I like to have a little bigger deck. 
And so if they had, if they had made it, you know, with the, with, where I had a couple more feet behind the windshield, I might have, maybe I would have gone to a 21 or 22 footer. Right. Um, so, you know, I can say, yeah, do I really, do I, do I wish I had a bigger boat? There's certainly times when, when it's really windy, I wish I had a bigger boat. Right. Because it spans those waves. Right. And that's, that's to me a big factor. Yeah. And flip side of it is anything under about 16 feet to me is a strip small water boat. They need to be in the 17 plus foot range for me to be comfortable on normal reservoir type stuff. Don't get me wrong, when the condition's perfect, you can go out there in a 14 foot aluminum boat, oh, yeah. blah, 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 whatever. But at the end of the day, to a serious fishing boat, we need to start considering like 17 feet and up. Yeah, it, again, it depends on where you go. On, on some of the smaller lakes, um, uh, you know, a 14 to 16 foot boat is actually ideal. A little easier to get on and off the trailer. They're, you know, sure. they're manageable. It's got, usually got a tiller, so you got more room. You don't, if you get if you get less than seventeen feet, I, the I I don't like having a steering wheel because uh, sure. it, it takes sense. up too much room. That right? makes good sense. Yeah. Right. But when you get when you get over 17, 18 feet, then the steering wheel starts to make a little more sense. Yeah. And I was thinking about console boats. Basically, yeah. I have almost no experience in tiller boats, guys, other than little tiny little tiny boats. I mean, small like you're talking about. So tiller boats aren't my thing. I think they're a little bit specialized. I know guys that, that have them love them. And I, the, the couple that I've been in feel gigantic because they have so much space. They in do. Them. But, uh, but it's not something I have a lot of experience with. For me, a good all-around, say, western boat where I can go reservoir fishing or lake fishing, something's going to be in the 17 to 21-foot range. In a bass boat, I like them a little bit bigger. The walleye boats, the 1920s are both Fine. Bass yeah, boats, I like the twenty foot. Yeah, I, I think you can get by around here with a seventeen foot boat very comfortably. Right. You just gotta. There's some days you just not want to go out. If you're not a tournament fisherman, you're probably not going to go out anyway. Right, or right, a guide. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. And, and I'll point out that that former fishful thinker guide Ronnie Castiglione uh, guided for several seasons out of an eighteen foot boat. Yes. So uh, for sure he can. That's doable as well. So from the size standpoint, another thing I'm concerned with the garage thing. Keep in mind when I'm when I'm looking at size and determining whether it fit in my garage, the trailer, the overall length is a key part of whether it'll fit in your garage, not the boat. Breakaway tongue will make a big difference on the trailer. Yes. A tongue that can be folded over to cut a couple feet off the end of the trailer uh, will make a big difference for sure on your boat as well. But when you're considering the size of the boat in your garage, consider the full width of the boat on the trailer, which I think on my on my 21-foot boat is like 27 feet by the time you consider the motor and the, and the tongue of the trailer. I think I need a bare minimum of 27 to park the boat. So uh, you got to keep that in mind uh, as far as that goes. Now... <coughs> um, Motor's easy for me. I'll make this real short because we live at high elevation. We live at 5,000 plus feet in elevation. Both of us do. If, if the boat's rated for 200 horsepower, it's going to get a 200 on it. If yep. it's rated for 250, it's going to get a 250. I'm not going to get a boat and then say, well, I'm going to save 5,000 bucks and, and cut 50 horsepower off this motor. Uh, it's for me, max power is max power. And uh, the first thing people are going to say is, well, I don't have to go fast. It's not about going fast. It's about going slow, safely, and easily. And then if you want to go fast, you can. But if your boat's top speed is 40, well, then it's working hard at 30. If your boat's top speed is 60, it's not working very hard at 30. And so if the wind is an issue, you need to tractor around, you've got the boat fully loaded, you do decide you want to go fast, all of those reasons make, uh, make the big motor uh, an advantage. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And getting out of the hole. Yeah, the hole <laughs> shot's a huge deal. Yeah, and especially, you know, if, if you get out on a big lake, uh, 
you know, pick a lake, Granby, yeah. right? You're out there fishing and all of a sudden the wind comes out right. and, and you need to get in now because right. it's not safe to be out there any longer. Right. Um, you want to be able to get going. You yeah. don't want to be fighting with. Yeah, and, and even in my boat, in my 21-foot bass boats, there's been several times, even with you filming one time on a, on a lake that was wakeless, where the weather came up and got so brutal so quick, where I'm like, wakeless, nothing. The wind's blowing four-footers down this lake, so we're getting out of here. Getting out of here yeah. And there's not a place you want to find out your boat's underpowered, particularly if it starts getting water in it or anything like right. that. So max power is a key thing there. Um, you know, if we were doing this this podcast a few years ago, I would have said two strokes versus four strokes. That's a done deal. You're getting a four stroke on there now. Um, what do you consider? Let's let's say, okay, I've decided I want an aluminum boat. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a, a multi species boat. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the max power on the back of it. It's gonna be a 20 footer. Blah blah blah. What do I need to consider next? What are my main buying decision points that I look at next? Maybe something to do with the trailer or something to do with what? Well, you need a, you need a good quality trailer, obviously, because um, you're you know that's, you're going to spend a lot more time dragging it to the lake than you probably are going to be using it. Right. So you need uh, you know something where that's reliable. You need something that's got where you can service the bearings or and brakes and brakes, particularly here in the west where brakes, we have the mountains. Brakes are important if um, you know if the boat weighs over a certain amount and yep. depending on your tow vehicle. Um, you know, one thing to think about when you do live in the mountains is, is if you have surge brakes going downhill, your brakes are going to get, get warm. So yeah, yeah. Um, they, there are some ways you can get around that too, some some uh, other braking options for people that live in the mountains. But they need to consider the braking one way or the other on the trailer in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, a good quality trailer is, is key. Um, but then you start thinking about, you know, when I'm buying this boat, do I have room for everybody that's going to go? Do I have storage for my stuff, right? Whether I, whether I have dedicated storage in the boat or do I even have room for a couple of tackle boxes or right. bags? Right. One of the key things for us, for my personal boat along those lines, is that I always get dual console bass mm-hmm. boats for a couple of reasons. One, the passengers like to have a little bit of uh, air brake too. But for two, also gives my dog a place to lay in the shade mm-hmm. or a place, in my case, to put camera bag underneath the, the storage because it's a great big bag. It fits underneath there. Or any guests that get my boat, I always try to keep the, the uh, starboard compartment open for them. Uh, uh, or port compartment, I should say. But I, my, still at the end of the day, there's room underneath that console to put a bag of whatever stuff that people need. And that can be a, a key thing. Uh I like to have also, as far as in my boat goes, storage for my tools, which people might not be thinking about. If you're not on a boat, you might not think about your tools, but I would I always bring a toolkit in the boat no matter what, a spare trolling motor prop, we gotta have storage for that. Um, in some cases, an engine prop, an actual main engine prop, mm-hmm. which I don't carry these days very, very often, but whenever we go on a major road trip, I do. Um, you gotta have storage for stuff you might not be thinking about at the end of the day, net storage, rope storage, all that stuff. Yeah, for sure, and yeah, store. You, you got certain basics like you mentioned, tools. You you have to be self sufficient if you own a boat. Yeah, agree. You can't count on going going to the dealer every time some little thing goes wrong. And if you're out in the middle of a lake and you know your trolling motor prop gets wound up with fishing line, uh, right? You don't <laughs> you, have a toolkit. You, you kind of need to have the tools so you can fix that and keep fishing. So yeah. What about trolling motor? Um, thoughts on a guy buying a trolling motor or buying a boat? Because uh, these days you can buy cable foot steer yep. with cable. You can buy straight fly by wire. You can buy hybrids thereof. Um, what does a guy need to consider when buying considering the trolling motor? Because these days trolling motor could be 10% of the cost of the boat pretty easy. They can be very expensive depending on what you want to get. Um, you know, that 
that can kind of come down to personal preference. When, it, when you're talking about to walleye fishermen, they typically like to have the trolling motor that they run with the remote control. They don't want to run the, with the foot, foot control, right? right? It's, it's just something they just do because they're trolling. Um, the spot lock is, is also a really nice feature. Is it a must? No, but boy, it sure hex. It sure is nice when you want to sit on a spot. It's a must in my world. Well, it is for us, <laughs> right? But but not everybody yeah. needs that, right? No. But the remote control, I think, is is a is a big key. Um, being able to you're dragging bottom bouncers or trolling or whatever, and being able to use that 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 remote to steer while you're fishing and while you're handling fish or whatever, or you get into some kind of situation, you're netting a fish, maybe you just want to hit that spot lock and anchor. Right. And that's what I, I find really important. As far as the foot control thing, I think that's more of a, almost like a bass thing. If you cast a lot, you like the foot control. That's Let me right. put it that way. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. The remote drives me nuts when I'm trying to cast. That's right. <laughs> and that's where it comes down to for me. The remote control is fine, and, but I need both hands to fish. And yes. uh, so it depends on how I'm fishing. Uh, but if intuitively you think, oh, I'm going to get remote control. That sounds great. Until you're flipping bushes, and then you realize you got to reach down and adjust the remote control constantly. And even if you can do it without looking at it, that's still a difficult thing to do as far as your timing goes. So, for me, the hybrids are better because I have all of the above. So the, the motors you can do anything. I run the Ghost same as you do, but we can spot lock. You can foot drive it. You can remote control drive it. Right. Uh, you can do whatever you need with it, and uh, and that works really good. Uh, I will say the same thing with the trolling motor that I do with the with the big motor is no one ever complained about having too much power in their no. trolling motor. No, I if I got room for three batteries, I'm going to buy the one that runs off three batteries. The three batteries. I want it. Yeah. Yep. I want a 36 volt. I want yeah. I want as much pound thrust as I can get, and uh, because the breeze, the the current, whatever mm-hmm. you might be dealing with, it really really important. And and for me, this the the spot lock or GPS anchor feature is super super important, and uh, like like gotta have it. Like I use it all the time. I use it more than the shallow water anchors. What are your thoughts on shallow water anchors? Because you've had boats with and without them, same as I have. It depends on the lake. So here on Horsetooth Reservoir, it's a very which is deep and steep, very deep lake. Um, I don't use them hardly at all. Um, if I go to another lake that's more bassy, let me think it. You know that way I use them all the time. Yeah. And for crappie fishing, pan fishing, um, bass fishing, even casting certain cover for walleyes, I'm using my anchors all the time. Well, and you've got a hybrid boat uh, that is a saltwater slash freshwater boat. You, right. You've got the, the intercoastal boat. Uh, it was made by Ranger, no longer made by Ranger anymore, but it's a basically it's a bass-style boat designed to be able to go in saltwater as well. And in that situation, we use power poles uh, down there as well. I do, I do. I, I use them a lot for... You know, we'll be fishing in less than five feet of water a lot for yeah. whether it's redfish or snook. or sea trout or snook or whatever. And my, you know, I'll go to a spot and put the anchors down and cast the spot and then keep moving. And so, I, yeah, my electric's not hardly used other than to move me from here to there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a key thing. And uh, and we we spent a fair, fair bit of time in that. But I'm trying to think, what else we needed to consider? People, what about electronics? We uh, electronics now. First thing I always think of with electronics is they're easily replaceable or upgradable. So for me, if you can get a better deal getting a package deal on a boat and it's already got electronics built in it, great. If you're going to build a boat f- from from scratch, if you're going to design it from scratch, well, different story. But I look at the electronics as being upgradable at any point, more so than other parts of the boat. What about you? Well, I think they can, but I think you need to be a little bit careful because the very, very, very low end... On some of the, on all the manufacturers, um, some of it is 
not very good. Right. If you're going to go to the money to buy the boat. Spend an extra 100 or $200. Right. And that's, that's really the difference between a very low-end unit and the next level up. Right. That next level up is a great entry point, I think. The very low end is... It's something they put on the boat to sell you the boat. It's got electronics. It's got electronics it's got on, on it. And yeah. they are easy to upgrade. But, okay. but then again, you know, you got to think about are, if, you're, um, if, you're, if you're buying a boat with payments, do you want to roll all the, you know, the electronics you want into your payments, or do you want to have to scrape, scrape up the money to, to add it later? You skipped ahead on me because that's where I was going to end this <laughs> podcast was going right there. Because uh, my background was in the finance industry before I got in the fishing business 20 years ago. But, uh, but yeah, the electronics, I agree with you. You don't want entry level. So you got, in my opinion, if you're going to go to the trouble to buy a boat, you at least got to have a, a basic GPS and sonar on the boat. And from there, if you can afford fancier stuff, side scans and, and all that stuff, then fantastic. And then if you can get from there to, to live sonar and it's still in the budget, great, all of the above. But at the end of the day, I feel naked, even in my little tiny green 12-foot crawdad, without having a GPS to look at, just to see, if nothing else, where I've been all day. And, hey, wait, did I already fish here? Or whatever right. the case might be, uh, marking waypoints, so that place I haven't been to in, in two years, I'm going to go back. I can remember where this inlet ditch was or whatever the case might be. Uh, so very basic in that regard. But but from there, um, you know, there you can spend a lot of money on sonar and GPS these days. I'm looking at bass boats with, what, Twenty thousand dollars in electronics easy, in them now. Easy. So, I mean, you look. You look at the pro, the pros on TV. They got three graphs in the front. Yeah. Two graphs in the back, and the ones that are on the front are, they're thirty five hundred dollars a piece. So they got ten grand in the bow. Right. They got another fifteen grand at the at the console. Yeah. Plus they got if you got forward sonar and three sixty, right. you got another. 10 grand. So easy, easy 20 grand. Yeah. So you can spend a lot of money on electronics. So, which is why when I say you can upgrade them, okay, Dan's right. You can, you can upgrade them, but you might, it might be a bigger chunk than what you're thinking. I think like, for instance, the, the Rangers these days, like the one I've got an order right now, is going to come with a pretty solid package on it right off, right off the bat. I mean, it's going to have the HDS 12s and right. blah, blah, blah. So they're pretty good. I would still upgrade them though. And to, and to finish this podcast out here, so we're going to run out of time pretty quick. Um, rolling everything you can into the beginning of it is going to help you cash flow wise in the end uh, and getting all that dealer stuff done at the same time and uh, and getting everything set up and ready to go in one shot is really going to save you in the long run in terms of cash flow. If cash flow is not an issue, good on you. Go buy a fancy boat. But if it is an issue, roll it in the beginning, finance it and be done with it. You can get boat loans that are big long loans if you need to. Uh, as a finance guy, I'm not generally a fan of gigantic long loans, but at the end of the day, having a boat beats not having a boat, and uh, and you make your decision there. Dano, last thoughts on boat buying? No, man, come see us down at the boat show. There you go. There you go. Come, <laughs> come to the Colorado Convention Center and come see us. Guys, if you have questions, you can always shoot me an email, chat at fishfulthinker.com, or Dan, for that matter, uh, Dan at fishfulthinker, and we'll be glad to answer those. But between us, we've owned something like 30 boats or more. Um, there's currently five of them sitting around my house right now. So <laughs> if you count kayaks, and if canaries, you count kayaks, there's uh, all kinds of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, join the conversation on social media with us at Fishful Thinker. Of course, the YouTube channel. You may be listening there, uh, but we'd appreciate you subscribing there. And it sounds like we may not have a bunch of Dan around this coming year to guide, since he's going to spend a bunch of summer off in a gallivanting around the. North America in a van, but uh, but I appreciate all your time so far guiding with us, and hopefully you'll come back maybe in fall and guide some. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll be back. There you go. Guys, check out Dan Swanson and uh, on social media or us at Fishful Thinker. We appreciate it very much. And Otherwise, this has been Fishful Thinker, a podcast.